Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Welcome to Maka's Moral Moments. Wow. Thank you for joining us today. I'm very excited for this podcast. Thank you to Karis and Christine for joining me on that amazing intro song, which was actually a diss track to the Roman Emperor Tiberius. Now, one thing about that song was that Tiberius's morality is pff, never ambiguous. It's rather entirely transparent. But today we'll be looking at the complete opposite. We'll be looking at Virgil's Aeneid and his morally ambiguous characters. So we will specifically be looking at Dido and Aeneas and their actions and how Virgil views their actions as morally ambiguous when they're not acting in line with fate. Again, it's morally ambiguous when they're not acting in line with fate. There's a connection between fate and what's virtuous, but then how do you decide? What are you going to choose? Are you going to be like Dido and choose your passions? Or are you going to be like Aeneas and are you going to choose fate? So, so what question? What does this do? First, we're going to look at what this does for the Romans. And a little bit later, we're going to look at do or look at how this applies to us Christians and how we should look at this. But before we get into all that, we have to kind of lay groundwork. We're going to give some basic context about this passage. What I'm about to read, actually. Totally forgot about that. So, real quick, before we read the passages, Aeneas is in Carthage with Dido. They had, went in a cave. They had a little moment. Um, Dido thought that they were married. Aeneas did not. Jupiter finds out, sends Mercury to tell Aeneas, like, yo, you got to get back. You have to go to Italy, fulfill your fates. Aeneas is like, holy cow, totally forgot about that. Deuces, going to go do this. So then Dido finds out, and then this is their interaction. At last, Dido, she assails Aeneas before he said a word. So, you traitor, you really believed you'd keep this a secret, this great outrage? Steal away in silence from my shores? Can nothing hold you back? Not our love? Not the pledge when sealed with our right hands? Not even the thought of Dido doomed to a cruel death? And further on, thanks to you, my sense of honor is gone. Aeneas responds. The queen stopped, but he, warned by Jupiter now, his gaze held steady, fought to master the torment in his heart. At last he ventured a few words. I, you have done me so many kindnesses, and you could count them all. I shall never deny what you deserve, my queen. Never regret my memories of Dido, not while I can recall myself and draw the breath of life. I'll state my case in a few words. I never dreamed I'd keep my flight a secret. Don't imagine that. Not nor did I once extend a bridegroom's torch or enter into a marriage pact with you. If the fates had left me free to live my life, to arrange my own affairs of my own free will, Troy is the city, first of all, that I'd safeguard. Troy and all that's left of my people whom I cherish. The grand place of Priam would stand once more with my own hands. I would fortify a second Troy to house my Trojans in defeat, but not now. Grinian Apollo's oracle says that I must seize on Italy's noble land. This Lycian lot says, Italy, there lies my love. There lies my homeland now. Wow. So we see those. That's just one quick passage. Then we're going to move next page. Um, then Dido kind of responds, I think. And then, no. Oh, sorry. Aeneas is still talking. And he says, he's seeing that he saw Mercury. With my own eyes, I saw him clear in the broad daylight, moving through your gates. With my own ears, I drank his message in. Come, stop inflaming us both with your appeals. I set sail for Italy all against my will. So, wow, these passages, this quick, these two, three pages, um, really give insight to the stylistic features that Virgil is using. He's using point of view with Dido and Aeneas, or Aeneas, sorry, 
with Dido, he's showing her passion. She's inflamed. She's angry. She's hurt. She's destroyed, devastated. She's completely following her emotions. And with Aeneas, well, he's, he's tormented, obviously. He denies his fate twice. If the fate had let me free, I'll live my own life. Yada, yada, my own free will. But then, later on, when he's saying that he saw Mercury... Um, with my own ears, I drank his message in. Come, stop inflaming us with your appeals. I will set sail for Italy, even if it's against my will. But he's drinking in the news that Mercury is bringing to him that he has to go to Italy. So those, the point of view of anger and passion by Dido and Pietas and virtue and kind of actually tormenting a little, but then choosing his fate, that is giving us the two opposite reactions to fate and what one will do with their fate. Just further on, with Dido, we see that she chooses to commit suicide. And even though that, that is her own choice, that, that own, is her own free will, that was not her fate at time. Which brings us, um, brings us to the next point of, what are we supposed to do with these passages? What does this mean for the Romans? What do these themes of free will and fate and, and passion and anger and then Following the fates, what does that mean? And how does that connect us to the rest of Virgil's work in this paper, or sorry, in his book? And um, then for all of, or all of Virgil's characters. So the end of book four, we see that actually Dido's death was not deserved. On 152, page 152, Virgil says, since she was dying a death not fated or deserved, no, tormented before her day in a blaze of passion. She didn't, she chose her death but it was not yet her fated time. So she was not walking by the fates. So then she's walking into walking kind of the path of moral ambiguity. But you may ask, well, well, wasn't she the one that chose her death? Wasn't that obvious? We've already talked about this in class. I'm going to prove to you, not exactly. Because in book six, when Aeneas is in the underworld, he sees Dido. And on page 198, he's struck by her unjust fate. Then when Virgil describes where she is in the underworld, he says, sad ghosts, innocents all, who brought on death by their own hands. So they brought on their own death, but they're in this specific place in the underworld where her fate is, or her unjust fate. So what, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, it appears as though Virgil does not consider her action of killing herself completely immoral because of her place in the underworld. So therefore, we cannot judge her actions as moral or immoral, rather completely ambiguous. Moving on quickly to then Aeneas. He appears to be kind of walking in some murky water. He's like one foot near the fates, one foot in moral ambiguity with Dido. He's in passion with her, all that stuff. But we see in these passages that we just read, he's tormented, but he is choosing her. He is not deciding to walk continuing in moral ambiguity and is this right or wrong for him to do? He is choosing the fates. He is drinking in the news that he has to go. And against his will, he will go to Italy. Now, what does this do with the rest of the work? This picture of Dido is kind of, and then the opposite of Aeneas is almost like, what will you choose? Will you choose moral ambiguity or will you choose to walk by the fates? And then also, Zooming into Dido's story, when we zoom out and then see Aeneas's response, or Aeneas's choice, it kind of, her decision and her, her moral ambiguity kind of undermines all of the rest of the characters because of Aeneas and all of that. So, 
Then to the Christian interpretation of this. In Christ, we are not confused with what is moral. We are not unsure. We are not nervous that God's providence is going to um, force us to choose something immoral or something morally ambiguous. But we know truth in Jesus Christ and his providence is wise and purposeful. And he will, he sees to everything. He will provide for everything. Like 1 Corinthians 10, 13, 13 says, No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In a world of complete sin and darkness, we do know true light. And we are supposed to walk in that light. And walking in that light is the way, is the way of morality and goodness because of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to point out this verse in Exodus 34, 6, 8. Um, just kind of so beautiful to see the complete opposite of the fates. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is what we can see and, and take from Virgil's Aeneid, no matter how dark and disturbing he is with, with Dido's suicide and, and not knowing to do with the character's choices and just kind of finish like reading this passage and even listening to the podcast without this part would be very unsatisfying um, to hear just, well, answers moral ambiguity. That's, that's what I thought when I, when I wrote my paper, man, that was a rough time. Um, but <laughs> we do not have to walk away disappointed or discouraged that that there is no truth, there is, everything is vague, nobody knows, but we do know truth in Christ, and that is enough for us. Um, so, that is all for this podcast. Thank you guys for joining me. I had a wonderful time, um, and hopefully I don't go over the time limit. So, deuces!